0: Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our Soquel location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services.
1: Welcome. It's good to, good to see your faces. Good to worship with you. i standing over there worshiping with my family this morning. I was just thinking about, I don't know if you were thinking this, but I was thinking how grateful I am that we're standing in this place. uh, There's no threat to our life, and we're with friends and family, and we're singing these songs to God and freedom, and half a world away, there's there's other people, brothers and sisters of ours. You know, in the Ukraine, uh, something like 85% of the people there identify as Christians, and today, Many of those people are gathered in bomb shelters and basements with their families, singing songs to Jesus with the uh, sound of bombs as the backdrop. So we have a lot to be grateful for, yeah? This week, my wife and I, uh, Amy and I, we had dinner with some friends. And during this dinner, uh, someone asked, one of our friends asked me, in front of Amy, mind you, asked me this question, which you should never ask a man in front of his wife. Um, I, the, he, she said, it's your anniversary this, this month, right? How many years has it been? <laughs> Naturally, that person is dead to me now. Um, and I said, how many years has it been? It's been a number of years. From that date until this date, it's been several years, in fact, the number that you're asking for of those years, the number that you're getting at, you know, it's not so much about a number as it is about a journey. It's about a journey. And Journey was a great band who wrote a song called Don't Stop Believing. And I believe, I believe that I'm, I've answered this question. Uh, Have you ever had a friend that changed the subject every time you brought up a certain topic? You ever had a friend like that? You know, whenever Jesus was asked by his closest friends, or by anyone, in fact, about his return, or about the end of all things, he spoke cryptically, and he spoke in, in uh, language that was difficult to understand at face value, and, or he just flat out changed the subject. And he changed the subject to his favorite subject, which is talking about our hearts. Um, 19 years, by the way, is how long I've been married. 19 years, yeah, yeah, 19 years this month. So we're um, we're in a we're beginning today a series uh, that's more than a series. It's the series the it's called Last Days. It's Last Days, and um, over. But but it's more than a series because it's going to be a theme for us this year. Um, we're not going to we're gonna we're gonna talk about this for a few weeks, and then we'll talk about other things, and then we'll come back to this. We'll talk about other things, and we'll come back to this, this this idea that we're living in the last days. What does that mean, that we're living in the last days? You know, usually that phrase, when you hear that phrase, last days, it conjures up uh, uh, dark images, uh, you know, doomsday scenarios, or wars, or famines, and earthquakes, and death. Um, But in fact, last days is the, the term that Paul and the apostles, they used to give the period of time that began with the death and resurrection of Jesus and continues on to today. So we're living in the the last days, but those last days began 2,000 years ago. I actually found in the Scripture five different apostles who used this term. The author of Hebrews, whoever he or she might be, Paul, Luke, James, and Peter all used this term, last days, for the times that they were living in and that we are living in ourselves. That's good reason for us to adopt that way of of talking about it, right? This is what the author of Hebrews said. They said, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. So God had one way of doing things, one way of speaking to His people before, and with the coming of Jesus, there's a brand new way He has of speaking to His people, and that way has continued on to us today. This is a little bit nerdy, this little part right here. I'm just, this is just for me. You, you might, I don't know if you're gonna enjoy this or not. It's just. 60 seconds I'm gonna take to tell you this nerdy thing that I found, I found this really interesting. Augustine, he divided up human history into six kind of epochs, right? And the first one, the first age of man, he called it, goes from Adam to Noah. And the second one goes from Noah to Abraham. And the third epoch goes from Abraham to David. And then the fourth is from David to um, to the Babylonian captivity. And the fifth goes from the Babylonian captivity to the coming of Jesus. And from Jesus until now, or until his return, is the sixth age of man. He called it the last days also. And this is what what Jesus said at the end of his great commission. Uh, We read from this a couple weeks ago. He said this to his followers before he left the earth. He said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The end of what age? The last days, the age that we're in right now, right? So in this way of thinking about it, the last days is not so much about this headlong rush towards the end of the world. It's not about trying to predict what might happen in the coming weeks or months or even years. It's about living in a period of time that takes place before Jesus returns and restores everything back to the way he originally intended. And we have a job to do while we're waiting, right? Right? So this year we're going to kind of contemplate this label, this last days label, and to do that we're going to look at a book. It's the last book of the Bible. It's the Revelation of John. We're going to look at this book, and, and here's what we're, I, I want to tell you from the outset, this is what we're not going to do. We're not going to read the book of Revelation and try to pick apart the prophetic elements and uh, do like a Da Vinci code thing, you know, where we we put the numbers together and we try to predict what's coming next. If you, if you come up to me after the service and say, you know, China is really the beast, I'm going to shut that down. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I don't want to talk about that. Um, our goal is not to use the Bible as like a cheat code to try to figure out life so it makes life safer and more, you know, gives us more control and power. Instead, we're going to use this complicated and uh, beautiful and mysterious piece of literature to inspire us to consider how we live A community of Jesus' followers, how we live against the backdrop of tumultuous times, right? Are these tumultuous times? Yeah. There's a war in Europe brewing. It could be a big one. But have there been wars before? Yeah. It's kind of always been tumultuous, right? So against that backdrop, we're asking the question, how should we live? Well, here's the funny part, actually. Now that I said all that, we're actually not going to read from Revelation today, (laughs) Uh, we'll, we're going to start that next week, and I would encourage you, like this week, if you have a chance, crack open your Bible, go to the last book, and read the first chapter of Revelation, because that's where we're going to be next week, um, and it'll give you a little setup for that. But today, what we're actually going to look at is another story, and it takes place in the book of Matthew. Now, this story <clears throat> is uh, some, sometimes people call it a mini apocalypse. It's a it's a teaching that Jesus gives. It's called the All of It Discourse. We call it that because he didn't just give us part of it, he gave it all of it. No, that's not, nope, okay. I just try these things out in the first service, you know, to see if I can do it in the second. (laughs) Let me just cross that one off. We call it the all of it discourse because he gave it on the Mount of Olives, actually. Um, But people call it a mini apocalypse. What do you think of when you hear that word apocalypse or apocalyptic, what do you think, what words does that conjure in your mind? Jesus coming, zombies? Yes, me too. Thank you. Thanks for being real. Any? What else? Apocalypse. What do you think of? Hmm. Napalm. napalm. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. What else? <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Uh, death. Yes, death. So we all have these associations because of culture. In fact, Revelation was called an apocalypse because of the type of literature it was actually. So the ancient Hebrews, when they heard this term apocalypse, they didn't have these associated, they didn't think of zombies or napalm or the end of the world. Apocalypse comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, which means an uncovering, a revealing. So they heard this word apocalypse and they heard something important is about to be revealed. That's kind of interesting, huh? So that's how I want us to think about it, is not to think about the end, or zombies, I want us to think about there's something important that Jesus has to share. And there's something important in Matthew chapter 24 that Jesus wants to share with us, I believe, this morning. Let me give you the setup. So Jesus had had a public ministry for almost three years at the point that we're about to read. Had had he kind of messed with people a little bit? Were there some people that were upset by the things that he was saying and doing? Yeah. Were there some plots against his life? Yeah, there were, but none of them were successful. It was kind of like they just weren't trying hard enough. And he knew his time was growing short. In fact, the words I'm about to read take place two two days before the crucifixion. So he knew I need to amp things up because part of my plan is to die and they're not getting it together. Like there's no good plan to kill me yet. So he tells his friends, he goes, hey guys, we're gonna go into the city. In fact, we're gonna go to the temple and we're going to poke the bear. Right? We're going to get this thing going. And so he goes to Jerusalem with his friends, and he goes up to the temple, and for 2 days he pokes the bear and rattles cages until he gets them, you know, stirred up enough to where they make an actual plot that will kill them. Will kill him. So, he takes his friends to the temple, and first he he speaks to the Sadducees, okay? The small group of very philosophical religious types, and he blows apart all their philosophy. And then he speaks to the Pharisees. And if you want to read it sometime, it's uh, Matthew chapter 22, I think, where he he takes apart the Pharisees in this this, uh, teaching called uh, the seven woes, right? If you get one woe from Jesus, I mean, woe, right? It's not good. Seven, I mean, each of these, they sound like this, like, woe to you, one after another. Woe to you, you den of brooding vipers. I mean, it's brutal. And at the end of it, at the end of these seven woes, he just walks, I mean, he leaves his friends behind. He just walks out of the temple, and they're so upset. They're so rattled that it begins the plot that will actually lead to his arrest and his crucifixion. And you can imagine, this is how I imagine He's walking down the temple steps, Like Liam Neeson walking out of a warehouse and explosions going off behind him, right? Just, you know, he's going out. And and this is where we pick up in the scripture, okay? Here we are. This is Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. It says this. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up. Matthew 24, verse 1. We're also going to have it on the screen. It says this. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. And he says this, check this out. He goes, you see all of these things? And keep in mind that the temple he's referring to is not a small, this is not a small building. This is a massive temple. It's bigger than the Temple of Solomon. It was built by Herod. Herod was a politician and he did this to curry favor with the local religious types. And he built this massive temple for them. And Jesus says, do you see all of this? Do you see this? He says, truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And you know, 40 years after he said that, that's exactly what happened. The Romans put down the final Jewish rebellion. They sacked Jerusalem, murdered everyone they found there, and they actually took six months and broke apart the temple and dragged the stones out into the field. So Jesus tells them that this is going to happen, and then he leads them across this little valley. I've been there. I've walked this little valley. It only takes you about 10 minutes. There's a little valley full of olive trees, and then it goes up this hillside, more olive trees, and a bunch of, it's a huge grave uh, site now. It's a bunch of um, uh, little gravestones. And at the top, more olive trees. This is the Mount of Olives. And he leads them up there, and they sit down, and his disciples ask him privately, now that there's not a bunch of people listening, they go, tell us, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, we hear that one way, but what do we hear? We hear they're asking, when, when is he going to return, right? Keep in mind, they had no idea that he was even going to die. They didn't know. They're not talking about his second coming. They're just saying, so you're going to go out, and you're going to get an army, and you're going to come back, right? Right. What, what will be the signs that we look for that you're returning with your army to destroy all this and 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 uh, raise your kingdom. You know, we as Christians have been asking some kind of question like this ever since. When are you coming, Jesus? What are the signs? What should we look for? And Jesus talks about what he really wants to talk about. Here's what he says He says, Be careful, watch out, that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah and will deceive many. This is true. If you go home, and you dial up YouTube on your computer, and you, and you type um, last days, uh, revelation, interpretation, <laughs> end times, prophecy, you'll get about a billion people uh, trying to teach this stuff from their own home, telling you all kinds of crazy things about how they've predicted it down to the day, and the hour, and all of this stuff, right? Jesus says, don't listen to any of that. Don't listen to those people. Don't be deceived. He said, for many will come in my name claiming they're Messiah and that, that they have knowledge of the future. He said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Yep, yeah, check. We're hearing that, right? But see to it that you are not alarmed. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So these things are going to happen. This is a word for us today. These things that are happening, they got to happen. But the end is not here yet, right? So let's not hunker down in our basements, okay? Because there's still work to do. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Now, I'm a father of three, and I've been present for three births, and I've uh, seen the process that leads up to that, and if you haven't, then uh, let me tell you, there's some pain along the way that happens, and uh, and the mom experiences some things too, actually. But uh, no, um, uh, no, the 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 mother goes through these birthing pains, and here's some features of birthing pains. They 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 come in intervals, but they're they're not easy to predict. They kind of come and go. They have a rhythm to it, but it's hard to discern. They come in intervals, and they increase in t- intensity. They get more intense. Are things more intense now than they've been in the past? It kind of feels like it, doesn't it? They get more intense, and, and all of these pains, these, these contractions, are, they're a dress rehearsal. It's, it's a woman's body preparing for the main event. And that's what human history has been doing. It's been preparing for the main event, for the return of Jesus. So this thing that we're experiencing right now, it's not the real thing. It's just preparation. These things must happen. So he leads them up onto the Mountain of Olives, right? And he shares these things with him, and he gives them this teaching. And he goes on from here. I'm not going to read this portion of it. It's fairly lengthy, but I would encourage you to read it. It's really fascinating. And he, he gives this this teaching, and he tells them, everything you know is about to change, it's all about to be turned upside down. There's going to be a long period of time, and that's where we are now, and then I will return as a conquering king. And he gives four examples of what's going to happen. The first three sound like this, he says, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. How does a thief come in the night? What is the feature of a thief coming in the night? Who knows that he's coming? Nobody. Nobody knows. So the next time someone tells you, I got it all mapped out, Jesus is coming in three years. You can tell him, go back and blow your shofar some more. I don't think you have it figured out yet. Okay? He comes like a thief in the night. In fact, Jesus himself said, no man will know the day or the hour. He's the only one. And next he tells us, it's like a wedding with bridesmaids helping to prepare for the bridegroom. But the, the bridesmaids, they... They're clumsy, and they fumble, and they don't, they don't get everything right. But the bridegroom is still coming no matter what. And, and the, the wedding happens, but it, it's, it's clumsy and awkward. And, and that's kind of like us. We're, we're trying here, right? I mean, we're trying. We're doing our best. But the bridegroom's come he's coming either way. He's coming. And third, he says he's going to come like a, like a master of a house that's coming back to check on his servants to see what they've been up to. You ever see that bumper sticker? Uh... Look busy, Jesus is coming. <laughs> I love that one. There's a little truth there. It's like, it's not over yet, and we have a job to do. He's coming. He's coming. And then fourth, he tells truly one of the most terrifying parables in the Scriptures. It's, it's a horrible story. So, of course, that's the one we're going to read. All right? This is Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. It says this, when the Son of Man, that's him, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And the shepherd puts the sheep on the right, and the shepherd puts the goats on his left. Now, this is why we call the par- this parable the parable of the sheep and the goats. But I want to point out, there are no sheep and goats in this parable, it's about people. It's not about sheep. And it's not about goats. So don't label anyone a goat. All right? Don't call someone a goat. This, it, he's just saying it's like how a shepherd does that. Okay? Then he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a refugee and invite you in, or needing clothing and clothe you? When did you see the sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did, For one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me. Do you see who Jesus identifies with in this story? Is it the rich, the powerful, the secure? He calls the people with the least, the most fragile, the most vulnerable, my brothers and sisters. Remember that word apocalypse? There's something being revealed here. There's a lid being taken off, if we can see it. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will answer. Listen how they answer. Lord, they know him. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick and in prison didn't help you. When, when did these things happen, God? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away into eternity. The righteous into the eternal life. So that happened, right? Wow. Yeah, I'm with you guys. That's crazy. That's gnarly. I mean, Jesus. Am I right? He said those things. He said those things. This story is hard, it's hard to grapple with. It's hard to hear, isn't it? But we have to look this story in the face because I think there's something that Jesus wants us to hear. It's, what he's doing here is he's using language very carefully. He's trying to get our attention. He's grabbing us by the shirt collar and pulling us in close and saying, I need you to hear, I need you to hear what I have to say. And he uses this apocalyptic language, these symbols. It's not about barn animals. There's no sheep and goats here, all right? These are symbols. They're images of what Jesus is trying to tell us. Here's what I think this passage is trying to tell you and me today. I think he's trying to say that in this age, in this coming age, in these last days, that followers of Jesus, if we're following Jesus, then we will live not just the truth of Jesus, but the way of Jesus. Not just the truth, but the way. You remember the the people on his left said, Lord, when did we know? They know him. They know the truth. They know who Jesus is. They didn't live the way. There's a way. And the way is this. He tells us, the king replies, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. There's a way of Jesus. He's calling out to us, There's a better way to live. There's a way that puts others first before ourselves. And then he says, he says to those that did that, come, you who are blessed by my Father, and take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. These last days, it's less about about how we're going to get into heaven and more about him getting heaven into us. And through that, us getting heaven into us into this earth. He's not ready to give up on this earth. There's a narrative in evangelical Christianity that at the end of all things, God throws the earth away. He made this earth. It's amazing. It's a fixer-upper, I'll grant you. It needs some work, but it has an amazing view, and it's worth investing in. And he put us here. It's amazing here, and it can get better. And the way that happens is he gets heaven into us, and we get heaven into this earth. You know, we live in times that are tumultuous and complicated and scary, and we should expect those things. But we should also expect that Jesus empowers us to live through these times, not to give up, not to hunker down, not to consolidate our own space and power and security, but to live in this earth. We had, um, this week, We, uh, our friends Danny and Jenny went away for a couple nights, and we watched their kids. And I... I sat down with my boys and I told them, Andrew and Ben, I said, hey, your, your little friend Kale is coming and he's gonna sleep in your bedroom. The issue is that I can barely open your door because of all your stuff all over the floor, right? I, I can't even walk in here. And he has to sleep on this floor. We're gonna put out a little, you know, a little bed for him and everything. And so I said, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna partner together and we're gonna clean this room together. And we did, we worked on it. And we got it about 80% there. And I said, I said now my part is done but you still have work to do and, and Kale is coming. He's going to have to stay here and tomorrow I'm going away. I'm going to work. Okay. And when I come back, I expect that this last 20% will be done by you. Here's what they asked. Dad, when are you coming home from work? Right? Why do they want to know? If, what, if I said 430, when would they start working on the room? That's right. <laughs> Nailed it. That's right. So when we ask Jesus, when are you coming? And What will be the signs? What does he talk about? Our hearts. Get to work. I've, I've worked with you. I've partnered with you. Now it's your turn. I'll come when I come. It's not what I wanted from my boys. It's what I wanted for them. And the same is true of Jesus. It's what he wants for us. He wants us to be prepared for his return. And I think it looks like this. This is how I want to kind of wrap up our time together. I think it looks like this. It's our hearts, our heads, and our hands. What he wants to do in our hearts is he he wants us to lean into community. This is what he wants to do in our hearts. He wants to draw us into community. You know, right now as I'm speaking these words well, actually not right this second, but soon at 10 o'clock, Danny's going to share the same message at Coastlands. And then, and then I'm going to go up to Scotts Valley and share the same message there and then come back for the 11. We're in a partnership here. It's exciting. Unity is happening. And he wants more of that. He wants you to be here, to be in community. That's what he wants to do in your heart. The old you might have said, eh, you know, I'll, I'll come next week, you know. I'm busy on Sunday. But the new you that he wants to create Inside of your heart is someone that says, recognizes, I, I need community, even if it's uncomfortable. I'm going to get dressed on Sunday morning, and I'm going to get up, and I'm going to be there, and I'm going to meet with other believers, and we don't have to do this alone. And what he wants to do in our heads is he wants to open our thoughts. He wants to change our minds about the way we see others, the least among us, right? He wants to change how we see them, and our hands. In fact, would you hold out your hands for just a minute? I'm not going to make this weird. Just, we'll just hold out our hands, okay? I just wanted us to do this like a physical act so, so that when we ask this question together, that we're doing something together as we ask it. I'm going to ask this question, and you might think about asking it yourself, just in your own thoughts. How Jesus, how can I be your hands to someone today? I, I don't mean today figuratively, like generally in this period of time. I mean, literally today, like Sunday, like today, before I leave this place or sometime this afternoon when, I mean, we all have to eat lunch, right? Wherever you eat lunch or, or maybe later in the evening when you take a walk, how can I be the hands of Jesus to someone today? And then maybe think about asking this tomorrow and then on Tuesday and then on Wednesday and be, until your life begins to realign with the values of Jesus. And you're asking every day, God, how can I be your hands? In this world today, in this world full of broken people that need you so desperately, God will you point out the hungry and the thirsty and the stranger and the person that needs visitation? Will you open my eyes? My dad is a train engineer he was he 's retired now, uh, but he drove a train for a living, and uh, I had a train set myself when I was a kid I was really fascinated by trains and um, but I'd never seen him in one until I, I think I was about six years old and um, my, my mom came to me and said your dad called from work and he said this would be a good day. He's been wanting you to ride on the train with him. He said this is this is it this is the day. I said, oh that's amazing you know and so she, she packed me up in the car and we drove down to the depot in Watsonville and we uh, we got there and we pull up and we we start walking around the building and I could see the train when I was driving up and we start walking around the building and as we come around the building I don't know if you've ever been up close with a freight locomotive. They're enormous, right? And for a six-year-old, they're just gargantuan. And as I was walking up, the the thing was idling. The engine was on. And even an idling engine is so loud that you have to shout to be heard over the, the noise of it. And as I was walking up, I felt the ground was vibrating. And the smell of the diesel and the heat rolling off the engine and the sound. And I became terrified. It was so overwhelming, all of the sensations. I just froze in place and I was holding my mom's hand and I was thinking, I I don't even remember why we're here but I don't wanna do this. I I just wanna go back to the car. All I could say out loud was, I said, it's so orange because it was, the color was orange, you know? I just, I didn't have the vocabulary to express how overwhelmed and how terrified I was. What I didn't see was my dad was sitting up in the cab of the engine waving to me from a window but I couldn't see it. I couldn't see him because of all the fear, but he saw me, and so he climbed down, he climbed down the structure and climbed down the the side the ladder, and he started walking towards me. And I kind of saw some movement out of my peripheral vision, but I was still so terrified I didn't know what it was. And as he grew closer, I began to take note that my father is coming, and he got closer, And I was still scared. I took a step back and he got a little closer. And something happened as he grew closer is that my field of vision uh, was not so much filled with the train anymore, but filled with him until finally he got, he knelt down in front of me and all I could see was my father's face. And I wasn't afraid anymore because I knew that he wouldn't take me somewhere that was not safe. I think when we look out at the world, we have this same experience. It's it's scary. It's terrifying. We want to make sense of it, but it's sometimes paralyzing. And so we just kind of hunker down. We go about our life. We don't deal with the real issues. But I think as we, re- as we read these scriptures together, these stories about Jesus, and as we read Revelation in the coming weeks, I think that's what he wants for us, is for us to see his face and have his face eclipse all of these scary and terrifying and complicated things so that all we see is him, and the fear goes away.
0: We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways to, you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect, or just email us at info Lastly, we give everything we can away for free. rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.